Welcome to episode three of Meanderings. It's wonderful to have you back. It's great to be here in the studio on what's quite a lovely day in Carrum. And uh, I thought that we'd talk a little bit this morning about travel, about memories and about France. Uh, to recap, I lived in France for 12 years and in Paris for two. And uh, there's such a, a public uh, perception and a lot of imagination around Paris. It's quite iconic, almost mythical. And uh, to have lived there and become fully assimilated and spoken the language, it's it's quite a lovely thing. And to have almost been French for about a decade of life, it's something that stays with you always. What was interesting was when I met my current husband in Australia and we decided to have a trip together. It was reasonably early in our relationship. And uh, I think my partner, Andrew, thought it would be a good test for us. Would that be the case, darling? It's the old adage, travel before you're marrying. <laughs> and travel we did. Uh, but it wasn't the only test, was it? No, that's quite true. So... There was another test that we had. I'll just make a little parenthesis here. Uh, we'd been going out for just a couple of months when Andrew's mother passed away and we, he invited me to come along to her funeral, which was up in Newcastle. And uh, we caught the 4.30am Jetstar flight, which was, <laughs> which was quite funny, and uh, headed off to Newcastle and, and I'd been very curious as to what this was going to be like and who was going to be there and what I should wear. And he was very specific and said, no, 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 people don't wear anything special. Just bring jeans, just bring jeans. And because we were travelling light, I thought, okay, I'll do exactly as has been suggested and I'll bring jeans. Anyway, when it was time to go, he said, oh, have you got anything black? I said, you actually specifically said, don't bring anything specific, just bring jeans. Anyway, <laughs> what happened next? Off to Garden City at Katara, off to DJs, swung past DJs, into Target and out of there in 10 minutes. It was fun being able to say we swung by DJs when actually we went straight to Kmart or Target and I got a black skirt and uh, felt funeral ready. And then as we were driving up, we parked and we had to get out and go to this rather lovely centre overlooking the water. And he said, oh, and by the way, uh, I haven't told anybody that you're coming. I haven't told anybody about you. I think at that time my mouth dropped open, but it was kind of too late to be anxious. <laughs> so in I walked. Now, the point of this story... Sure. She worked the room, by the way. <laughs> the point of this story is that apart from meeting a lot of Andrew's extended family... I met in particular his dad, who was an extremely sprightly elderly man in his 80s, and his father's three brothers. Now, these four chaps, they acted like six-year-olds. They're all in their late 80s, and they were rolling around on the floor and uh, wrestling. And I thought at that time, ah, 
looks like this bloke who I'm dating comes from good genetic stock. So there you go. <laughs> so far, so good. So in terms of this test of heading to Paris, one of the things that's a, a lovely key moment throughout our time together, I think is we'd arrived by plane, we caught the train in, and then we emerged at in the centre of Paris, right at Saint-Germain. What are your memories of that, Andrew? It's one of these interesting things where you've seen something all your life, you've read about something, you've seen videos, but when you actually emerge from a metro or the underground and you're actually in amongst it, it's almost, or it is actually surreal that you're actually in amongst this environment that you've seen and read about for years. It, it, it seems like you've been there before, but it's only vicariously and all of a sudden you're in amongst it and you just wonder whether or not you're daydreaming. Yes, it's that transition from uh, all the vicarious knowledge we have, whether it's through literature or television and movies and common knowledge uh, or the common imagination around Paris and France, and suddenly, boom, you're actually right there. It's, it's quite a visceral feeling. And one of the lovely things for me, as I said, I lived there for a long time and it was very familiar, but there's something quite beautiful in revisiting and seeing again through fresh eyes. So it was creating memories with Andrew, reliving past memories, and all of this as a quite a lovely overlay. What do you remember seeing as we emerged? It was the, uh, uh, the Saint-Germain Abbey and yeah. the site of this 14th century church structure, you know, many years older than European buildings in Australia, and you just look at it and you go, wow, you, you could have been in the hunchback of Notre Dame. It's just, it's there in front of you. Also, there was music playing, quintessentially French, of course, perhaps cliched, but nevertheless very suitable for the occasion. That's right. There were these live musicians right under there, and it was absolutely transporting. In fact, I could play a little bit of the sort of thing that they were playing. I'll pop that on for you now. That's quite evocative, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, so we had uh, right in front of us the Église Saint-Germain. We had the two most famous French cafes, which are the De Magot and the Café de Flore, which were right there. And the waiters in their quite smart uniforms and very long white tablecloth aprons. And uh, apart from the music, there were, of course, the sounds of traffic in Paris and uh, suddenly the aromas of this wonderful coffee and cakes patisseries wafted by and we thought, oh, we'd better head straight to one of those cafes. And uh, off we went to the Café de Flore and had absolutely wonderful hot chocolates and, uh, and I enjoyed a croissant and there's something just so buttery and aromatic and crispy all at once about a real croissant when you just arrived in Paris and you're having a coffee. And one thing I learned to do, I used to find this really quite off-putting, but when I did live in France, I learned that dipping your croissant in your hot chocolate, there's nothing like it. <laughs> so that's what I was doing. And uh, what other things did we think about at that time that you remember? At that stage, we'd booked into a, a fairly niche hotel, 
my memory of that is, apart from the view of the church through the window, is that I could almost extend my hands in a span and lie diagonally across the room. Yes, Paris hotel rooms are typically very, very small. And had I not lost my camera on that trip, I would have in my possession a photograph of you lying on a bed with your toes touching one wall and your outstretched arms touching the other. But that's, in a sense, part of the charm. You know that as you go up in an elevator that squeezes one person and one suitcase at a time, because these were all obviously retrofitted, but it's it's part of the thing that you anticipate and uh, decide to read as charming. And this lovely hotel, Les Marronniers, had the most gorgeous little courtyard. It was like a little oasis in the centre of Paris with uh, a little portico, some lovely vines growing up, tables and chairs, and you could always get your coffee and plenty of other little things, which we really loved. It was a very special time. Right now, I'm just going to play you a song from my favourite sponsor. Come on, Freddy's Kitchen in Station Street for a coffee and something nice to eat. Yeah, the pizzas are great. In fact, all the food rates down at Freddy's Caram in Station Street. Come on, come on, come on, down to Freddy's now. Come on, come on, come on, down to Freddy's now. It's a pizza. It's a mystic pizza. Thank you, Freddie. <laughs> this morning we had a, a nice little time at the Bond Beach Market while we're speaking local. And uh, in particular, we discovered these wonderful gluten-free, dairy-free vegan donuts uh, by OMG Donuts. There are plenty of wonderful things at that market, but just a little shout out to OMG Donuts. We wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, on our second trip to Paris, it was quite different because the first time uh, it's important, I think, for me to show Andrew the main things of Paris. And you also wanted to see all the main attractions. And we ran around and did that and had an absolutely lovely time. However, the second time we went, we didn't need to do that. And we found that just walking out of our Airbnb and deciding whether to go left or right that day was just so free and wonderful. And we ended up with a a very lovely little cafe that we would go to every morning and we just loved the way they did scrambled eggs. It was silky and tasty and quite delicious, very smooth. And it was called Café Cassette. And we thought, oh, let's go back to Café Cassette because no one does eggs like they do. And it was quite interesting thinking about what it was like and the difference between our first trip. And we decided that rather than doing things, it was more about being and a different sort of state of mind where rather than saying we've got to do this and do that and tick this box and run over there, it was a very different feeling of what's happening, where should we go, let's just see what turns up sort of being very relaxed with no agenda, open to the world, quite a different state of mind. And we thought we need to learn this. We need to learn this and apply it when it's possible in our lives. And this sort of state of mind is something that we're returning to, especially as Andrew's on very long service leave at the moment. 
and uh, considering retiring. And uh, in that in that time, people often say, what do you do? And what do you think about that question? Well, it's got all sorts of connotations because all through your life, you are your job. And it's one of the first things that people will ask you at a party. What do you do? This emphasis on contribution, on employment, on adding value, and what you do defines often your status and is that social indicator as to how the conversation proceeds next. So a re-evaluation of what you actually do started on this second trip to Paris, sitting in a courtyard in a hotel, just sitting down and savouring what was in front of you. I suppose the cliché is uh, smell the roses because prior to that you'd be running around like a a mad individual, but um, it put a different perspective on everything. That's lovely, yes. And uh, something that we're learning more how to do uh, on our on our weekends, on our days off, uh, live a sort of a, a gentler existence. Uh, in French, that would be douceur de vivre. And because we're talking about douceur de vivre and at least one of us no longer working, I've now figured out how I can play you that song. It's a little song about not wanting to work. Hello, my name is Océane. I come from Martinia and you are listening to Radio Carom. <laughs> That was the rather fabulous Pink Martini with Je ne veux pas travailler. What they're singing is, I don't want to work. I don't even want to eat. I only want to forget and have a cigarette. <laughs> How very French. So continuing on that theme of what do you do, the question arises when you mention to people you might be knocking off work or you're on extended leave, what do you do? Again, there's that issue of being defined by your work. And I wrestled this for quite some time. I still wrestle with it every now and then. But I'm coming to the conclusion that if you're okay financially, you don't have to do anything. And the day is yours. And you don't need to feel pressured into some definition of society, meaning you have to do things to justify your existence. Are you saying that there's a lot of patterns that we learn from society as children and especially young and middle-aged adults that we have to unlearn in this new phase of life? Well, it's drilled into you right from the beginning. Like when you're seven or eight years of age, people say, and what do you want to do when you mm -hmm. grow up? That question that you always dreaded from uncles and grandparents Most of us don't have any idea. I mean, there's always the glamorous occupations of being fire engines, drivers or pilots or uh, Air Force personnel. But most of us weren't too sure what we wanted to do. And, of course, it's a decade of learning. And then all of a sudden you're in the unlearning process. Yeah, it's, it's a, there's a lot to be said for uh, absorbing a lot of messages of society but also metabolizing them quite deeply so we can see what's appropriate for us at each time but it's it's an extensive thing and it's not simple agreed hmm. okay 
So I now have another song for you, which is probably my favourite French song. We played it at our wedding and uh, it's got a lot of bilingual puns. So I mentioned that that's the song that we played at our wedding. In fact, we had two weddings. As I'd lived in France for so long, I really wanted to have a wedding over there, knowing that my friends would not be able to come, as well as our wedding here in Australia. And uh, there were so many, so many avenues to start with when you're planning a wedding, but one of the important ones for us was photography. We're both keen photographers and we met the most wonderful wedding photographer who was so energetic, entertaining, involved. We just clicked. And uh, we ended up bringing her to France with us to photograph that wedding as well as our one in Australia. And uh, some of the memories of that time include running around the streets of this town. I had to exit through the front door and go around to the back door in my wedding gown so that we could come into the garden uh, before Andrew would see me. But he stuck his head out and saw me. <laughs> and I really wish I'd just said, come here and give me a kiss. But what I actually said was, get back in there, you're not supposed to see me. Isn't that silly? What a silly little bride. What's your memory of that moment? Oh, you've recounted it very accurately. <laughs> and uh, there are many things around that time. We think that we could probably do a whole episode about the cultural differences that emerged in organising a wedding in France. Uh, our friends there who were organising it for us, it wasn't a real wedding, it was a wedding celebration. And they said, oh, we could get the town hall because the usual way of having a, a wedding in France is there's a, a civil ceremony at the town hall and it has to be the town hall where you live uh, or where your parents live. So there's not a lot of choice. And they can be nice or they can be just very ordinary beige rooms. But our notion was we're here in summer, it's a beautiful garden, we wanted an outdoor one, but that was very foreign to them, very foreign indeed. There were many other issues around food and uh, what to wear and who to invite and how it was going to work and <laughs> how I would do the cooking in the morning uh, as well as host in the afternoon and evening. And I think we'll keep that for next time. And uh, did you want to add anything to that, darling? I just remember the heat. It's 41 degrees on the day with this change coming through and you think that it's um, hot in Australia but and you hear stories of wildfires in um, in France, but the day before, it was just like driving through western New South Wales. It was so hot, 41 degrees. <laughs> and there you go. So we've left you with a little taste of uh, the French wedding that we had. We will come back to that in two weeks' time. There's a number of funny little stories around it that we hope to entertain you with, as well as some more music. Thank you very much, and see you in a fortnight. Sky, cause you're a sky full of stars